0: Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now this week a rather special episode because I have the tables turned on me. I was interviewed recently by a friend of the show, Talita Ferreira, as part of the Global Leadership Hypothesis series that she's put together. It's a series, a catalogue actually, of, of video interviews with leaders across many different industries who help deconstruct what being a great leader globally is all about. And actually on this interview, Talita and myself, we deconstruct the definition of a great leader. We go into how we can start to unlock our potential in accounting and finance and perhaps what's holding some of us back from doing that. And also we get into some common misconceptions, particularly about me. And we also share some great stories, anecdotes and experiences from our careers along the way. So look, if you do enjoy this episode, uh, please check out our timestamp show notes, key quotes, resources and ways to connect with Myself and Talita at SITNShow.com. And as always, really appreciate you tuning in today and investing your time with the show. So that's enough for me for now. So without further ado, over to the show.
1: I'm very pleased to have Andrew Codd with me today. Andrew is a seasoned finance professional and well known for his podcast, The Strength in the Numbers. Andrew brings insights to finance professionals all around the world in 150 countries and helps them to grow and develop as finance professionals through his show. Welcome, Andrew.
0: Hey, thanks for having us, Salisa. Absolute pleasure.
1: Andrew, could you please start by telling me a bit about yourself?
0: Okay, I suppose I'm based out of the southwest of Ireland. I'm a person who loves accounting and finance. I love how we can use information we've accounted for in the past to help finance a better future. And when I say finance, most decisions, in fact, financial considerations impact virtually every significant management decision we make in businesses and society. So for me, my passion is to help have accounting and finance professionals who are uh, engaged in their work, bringing their strengths, their training to the forefront. So yeah, as I said, I love helping those be more influential and, and impactful in their work. And I found one of the fastest ways to do that is to ask people who are already doing it, uh, interview them. And that's when I set up Strength in the Numbers. I found that. uh, If people want to check that out, hashtag SITN. And uh, we've grown that over the last couple of years to over 160 countries with regular listeners in all those countries. And it helps finance teams and professionals uh, become more influential and deliver an impact.
1: Great. I, I love that you're having a greater impact in finance and that you're wanting to help people to bring out their best. I think that's an amazing passion to have.
0: Uh, yeah. And it's, it's quite a, it's quite a rewarding one in terms of you get a lot out of that. Um, in, from a personal perspective, it's just a great way of giving back and recognizing the fact that I wouldn't have been in this position to do that had it not been for people helping me uh, get what I wanted out of my career, make a difference.
1: Fantastic. Tell me what your definition is of a great leader. We're doing this series on the global leadership hypothesis, trying to understand what makes a great leader. And I'm interviewing lots of different voices. So what would you say your definition is of, of a great leader?
0: I think it's a person to leader who creates an environment that helps other people identify their strengths and values so that they can bring their best selves to whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's. It's the role that they do at work or if it's something in their personal life or if it's the role they play as a wife or a husband, as a brother or sister. Uh, We all play these roles, but we also have these strengths and values that uh, make us who we are. And I think it's the great leaders are the ones that create environments that allow people to do that.
1: It resonates very much with me. I think many years ago when I went on a, a leadership training, And it was a different leadership training. So not one organized by by the company. It was one that I found externally and then convinced my boss that he'd let me go on it. And two of the main things that we did was our values and our strengths. And the third thing that we did was defining our leadership purpose. And I think those three things in combination something clicked in my mind so it's really interesting for me you're the first interviewer who's using the values and the strengths together which is an amazing thing because i know it worked for me
0: yeah yeah and i think and i think we don't spend enough time looking at it to i just i don't know it just seems that we're constantly looking for gaps which is good in itself you know when i say gaps are weaknesses <laughs> and i just as i've grown up a bit i just felt that we're all unique I love leading diverse teams. I, hope, I find it brings out the best in each member of the team and also, I selfishly myself, but also the fact that those strengths and how they combine and the value system leads some really great results. Um, and I also like the other point you made, actually, which now I'm actually going to have to enhance my definition because, um, because I think good lead, reasons lead to good results, not a good purpose, but a great purpose leads to great results. And I think that's another thing maybe great leaders do is they they set a great vision, a great person everyone comes in behind as well. But I think it still starts with environment and the individual knowing the strengths and values.
1: Definitely, I would agree with you. Environment is so important. So if you were to give advice to a new leader, for instance, or to a leader who's been a leader for a while but feels like they're a bit stale, what would you say, where should they start to unlock their potential?
0: I am... That's it. I think most people there, Talita, would probably think, you know, when we're talking about strengths and values, it should be with strengths and values. I'd say maybe that's the second step, actually. I think the first step is to identify the impact you want to make. What are the ideal outcomes? And make that as real as possible. For some people, it could be located to a specific industry or sector like myself. It's finance and accounting. That's where I feel I can contribute the biggest impact and yes, I do that via podcast and so on. Again, it's a format that works for me. I don't think I have a face for TV and I do I want to be on television. But people say I, I ask good questions and uh, I can interview and I've got a good voice and can engage people. So maybe that's how it's, I feel that I could deliver outcomes. And now you see I'm starting to link it back with strengths and values. And I think that's the best way to start. Um, if you don't mind me sharing a story to Lisa, quite Please. a recent one. I remember working with a a finance controller. I I felt that she probably should have been a bit more senior than where she was, who was struggling. And she didn't really, like the environment she was in, she felt she was being held back. So I said, look, what would be the ideal outcomes for you? And in mine, she said, I'd love to keep roughly in the same industry, but I, I feel like I should be a finance director. That's the type of role I should be doing. I feel I have the leadership capabilities, I have the experience. She had a certain salary in mind. It was a six figure salary and so on. And uh, she had a certain size team that she wanted to lead. And so on. wrote that down and okay, does that excite you? Would you get out of bed for morning? And that is, so is there enough reasons in there to make it exciting for you? She said, "Yes, yeah, this would be the ideal job. I started with the end in mind, so to say. And then go back to your strengths and values and understand what it is that makes you uniquely what are the things that you value? What strengths will you bring to the role? What sort of, I, I obviously would to come from accounting and finance background, qualifications. It's great training. How to deconstruct a business, account for a business, and how to turn that into advice that could, could influence and, and, and improve the financial state of an organization and the outcomes it delivers in the world. Then you put those two together, and then you're just solving for the gaps in between. Mm-hmm. this lady when she figured out okay maybe the company she was in wasn't right for her it wasn't going to help her achieve her ideal outcomes she started taking the right actions talking to the right people getting good mentors on her side seeking out good advice and giving great advice to others within nine months she'd actually not only achieved the ideal outcome she wanted she actually was was delighted that her strengths and her values were being put to good use full use best use in her new role. In the space of nine months, completely transformed around. Who would have thought? She definitely would have thought it was possible. I think nine months is a very accelerated time frame. Some people might take three years. We only get one shot in this world as leaders to make that impact. So let's go do the best we can and let's make sure we live it to our values.
1: That's a great story. Thank you for sharing it, Andrew. The next question I'd like to ask you is, How important do you think the interaction is with with the team, with your stakeholders, in terms of being that great leader?
0: Again, I think um, I'm going to be biased because I'm going to play it off of things that I value and strengths I value as well to lead. So it might differ for others. But in terms of, look, I get a great kick out of leading uh, diverse teams dotted around globally. And... You know, that was before we had the COVID uh, pandemic hit and the implications that brought. So I I felt the only way to do that effectively is to be regularly engaging with team members because we are not in the same office. We are remote. Like only this morning, I was talking with our um, Strength in the Numbers team, <laughs> you know, can't, again, can't, can't get a global popular podcast out my own. So we've an editor in the Philippines and we've another team member in Singapore. So like we have to pull these people on on the phone at very strange times, <laughs> sometimes at early morning, late at night, but it adds to the flavor. But the thing is, okay, it's one thing to connect with the team. But again, it's so similar conversations. It's okay, what ideal outcomes are you looking for this week or at the moment we already know each other's strengths because we've defined them. So how are you working towards where work can help as a leader, create an environment for you to, to get there? And it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to do something. It's just really asking questions to help other people to figure out what actions they do. And maybe there is an action for me to put them in contact with someone I know who can help or get, to get them on to a call with someone else to help them out. I'm more of a facilitator as a leader, I feel, in terms of those conversations and someone who's actually having to go and really do the work. And then you mentioned stakeholders, Talita, as well. Particularly, again, I come from the perspective of finance. We're, we're there to serve the business. We are a support service, and we can make a really big impact. As I said earlier, you know, financial considerations are quite key when it comes to the most major decisions that need to be made by management. And therefore, our stakeholders have objectives that they want to meet. And one great way of adding value for the to get recognition and to build followers to identify what I call these value gaps between what it is that stakeholders want versus what they have and again it's a bit like the the individuals that we might have in our teams they have an ideal career outcome that excites them that they want versus what they currently have and really it is about closing those gaps these value gaps and you close these have want value gaps you will find that people will come in behind you and, and probably want to be associated with you
1: fantastic I think you're bringing up so many important things there. I love the idea of questions. I love the ideas of asking the right questions. What are the gaps? And then filling the gaps or asking your people, you were saying, what do you need in the moment? How can I help you? I think so often in in business, we don't ask the right questions and especially uh, finance professionals, especially if you're in CFO roles, I was there for many years, you very often jump to doing but you don't wait to say, have I actually asked the right question here? And so yeah. I, I feel that you're bringing up something really important that triggered that in my mind. The questioning is really important. When,
0: and and Talisa, like I, I've got to try to hold myself back from asking questions. because you know, That's my natural role as an interviewer myself. But um, how did you arrive at that point you know, of realizing that was a difference? Because I completely agree with you.
1: So um, uh, I was very lucky in my career. I had three instances where I was coached. And the first, uh, the second and third were really phenomenal. She was a, a very phenomenal coach and she's just said to me one day, "Do you understand the power of questions?" and I was you mean by the power yeah. of questions and I was so re- focused on the result i can 't even remember what we were discussing discussing, but I do remember that I was extremely focused on the outcome and the result mm-hmm. and she was, "But have you asked the right question and i it's almost like you one of those moments where someone slaps you of course she didn't slap me but it was like a it was almost like a moment of waking yeah. up
0: uh-huh. yeah. did i really yeah, wake
1: up. did i but almost i've done something wrong here i've missed a trick that was the it was the amazing realization that she's taught me something profound that i just didn't get until today so i didn't answer her i said i was so surprised i said i, I really need to think about this because until that moment in my career i hadn't really thought about how powerful the questions can be
0: and i, I and I think it's and I, I think it's a particularly difficult affliction for those in finance or even actually any support services in account in finance. We grew up out of accounting. so CFOs, if they look at the early days, if they've come up through the traditional route, they were um, used to looking back on information and answering questions. So mm-hmm. the questions were put to them, and they were answering the questions because they were expected to know why something happened, what happened. And therefore, they're never really taught to ask questions themselves of other people. And I think um, having observed and again, interviewed um, hundreds of leaders on, on the Strength of the Numbers show now, I think that is the, the key thing that defines people who go on to be successful at leadership positions and, and make that transition. There's other ones rather than answering the questions and feeling neat, like that they need to have all the answers all the time. They've got great comfort and confidence to ask good, great questions of uh, their team and those around them stakeholders and team members. And I think that's how you get the best out of people.
1: Fantastic. Andrew, what would you say holds people back from reaching their full potential as a leader? If you just look over your career, are there things that stand out for you?
0: I suppose in terms of, in terms of me personally, I've, I would have preferred looking back on it, I'd ask for help sooner. <laughs> Again, I think it's that affliction that you're expected to know everything and have all the answers. And and like yes, I, I I came across an African proverb, and I, paraphr- I paraphrase it like alone you can go fast, but together we can go far. And I think when that that penny dropped for me, I actually found myself enjoying my work a lot more, feeling like I was making a meaningful difference because it was with other people. Moving up like the old Maslow's hierarchy, like we have here in the West. <laughs> and, and, and then that I was sort of more of the actualization, that sort of community actualization phase and moving through that. So again, I think that's the importance is realizing that you only make so much of an impact on your own. But when you do it with other people, you can go really far together. I think that was, that was the biggest thing for me to overcome. And it's just getting uncomfortable asking for help. Uh, I'm still not great at it. Actually, one of the great things about the podcast, Thalita, is I'm asking um, for help on behalf of other people, the audience. And I find that's a really easy way for me to do that is, is looking for, for a third party. And of course, I do benefit myself. I get these great insights. I get to ask questions I want to ask, but it's easier for me to ask help on behalf of other people. And I think that's quite easy to do as a leader, because uh, if I need to connect with my, a team member or someone I'm working with, someone else, it's on behalf of them. So it's really easy to ask for help when it's for someone else. Yes. Mm.
1: Asking for help, that's uh, a difficult one. I found as an entrepreneur, I have to do that more than I ever had to do that in corporate life. And it's humbling. It's humbling having to ask other people, could you please help me? But I must say, you're one of the people who introduced me to lots of other finance professionals. So I'm very grateful for that. People with huge followings like Anders, Brad, Lance. And I must say, I found it easier to ask them for help in getting the word out about the work that I'm doing. And yes, that's somehow when people are are almost like trying to achieve a similar thing, it feels like it's easier to ask them for help. Don't know, has that been That's a really great point.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think that's an important thing as well. Whatever leadership role you're you're in or aspiring to be in, just put it out there because you will then, I know it sounds a bit fuzzy or wuzzy, but like you'll attract others who are on a similar mission and you will help each other. And and one thing that I've been really um, a little surprised on, but absolutely delighted with as well is, yes, there's competition out there, but people seem to be competing trying to do better themselves, but willing to collaborate with others. And I think that's one thing that's been really pleasing is that people are willing to collaborate with each other. It's not as cutthroat as... Is you can imagine, say, in the movies or something like that, the real world is that people want to collaborate, want to work together, want to feel like they're making a difference, and more often than not, together with other people.
1: Yeah, I agree, totally. Andrew, would you like to share a story of leadership with us, either a very positive story or an epic fail, whichever... Which other
0: the ones resonate with you? Yeah, I'll probably say it's probably easier to talk about failures for me. I got a good few to, to pick from, and <laughs> they're completely on me. But I remember when I was probably about a third way into my leadership experience, I thought I was doing quite well because you know I had, to, had a good track record of developing high performance teams. But I suppose I hadn't really been tested. And then I would recently was got offered a job, and one of the people that also went for that job at that leadership role as a finance director, they, they didn't get it. And this person had been built up that they would get the job. They'd been convinced by the previous line manager it was a, a slam dunk. Uh, I suppose they hadn't counted on me coming out of nowhere and, and getting the role. And we, for whatever reason, we just had a personality clash. And I was on the impression that I could always turn people around to my way of, of thinking. <laughs> I'm not saying it was my way or the highway, but like I felt that I could always get people to come around. I did, before I became a, an accountant, I did actually start in, in sales. And I, again, I worked off my basic principles that you try and understand what it is people want and, uh, versus what they have, and you try and help them close the gap. Uh, but this doesn't seem anything I could do. And then what brought it to a head was accusations were made about things that I'd, I'd said, which were just completely false. And I was sucked into this email battle uh, in front of senior executives, which on hindsight was not the right way to engage in this. I didn't demonstrate my full potential and I didn't come across as a leader. I felt, looking back on it in the moment, all I felt was that someone was questioning my integrity and I was going to defend that. And, and I felt really, I had to say I was really stressed. I never felt out of my depth as I, as I was there, even, even whatever's happened since I felt like an absolute failure myself. Not only like I I'd, I'd failed myself, my team, I failed this other person as well, who absolutely wanted to do something like that. And then I was able to regain my composure. I chose not to engage, did things following protocol as well. And then I, again, just to make sure that I wasn't going insane, I actually asked for help. Another leader said, look, would you mind having this person work with you and and you let me know what what it is that you think? Do you think that they have potential to think I'm, I'm crazy here or whatever, what's going on? And I was lucky to have that support network around me. So this other person agreed to take them onto their team okay, I, I wasn't able to, to replace this other person, but the distraction in itself was, uh, was, was able to free up time. But anyway, um, long story short on that one, it turned out that um, it wasn't just me. It, this person was a bad egg or had some sort of mental breakdown and needed better support that I wasn't uh, capable of providing. So this person needed help and, and then to go to, to rehab and uh, pick up the, the, their career and whatever. So what I'm saying is that sometimes we can go with the wrong assumptions and that forces us maybe not to be our best selves. But what I would say is I've had scenarios since where uh, people have questioned my integrity and so on. I just haven't got dragged in. And sometimes the best way to deal with that is not to feel the flames on it and just uh, choose to disengage and trust that there's enough people out there that know who you are because you've been bringing your strengths, your values to the forefront every day. Um, and that will outlast any malicious accusations that people make against you. Um, I know reputation's key nowadays Talita. And it's very hard to, to bite your lip, but be the better person. Uh, you know who you are. It doesn't, you know, to some degree, people can say what they like about you, but as long as you know who you are and you've got good support network around you, you'll be fine. And um, that was a failure. I wasn't able to turn around uh, success, but it's allowed me to, to learn from it and in future not make the same mistake again.
1: I think that's an excellent learning. And there's some of that in my career as well. I think there are many times where you can get sucked into an email correspondence, which is really bad. And all of a sudden the whole world and his dogs copied on the email trail. And I used to, I've coached many um, leaders over the years, finance leaders in, 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 in large organizations. That's always what happens if you're in larger markets. And I would always caution against answering in the moment. That's the one thing that also happens. <laughs> you feel so passionate. You want to get onto that oh, yeah. email and you want to defend yourself. And, and that's one thing I would always caution about is just don't send the email in the moment when you're still too embroiled in the emotion of it all. And yeah. often I would just say, I think there's a misunderstanding. I think we should get in a room together. Just That's totally stop nuts. the email trail and just go, let's get in a meeting room. Let's go for a coffee. Let's just discuss this. And uh, I see with my daughter, she's 12, and it's all the, all the age of TikTok and technology and, and speaking on technology. And I really believe we should talk to each other. I sometimes see when they text each other and they're missing, uh, misunderstanding each other, something just blows up massively yep. out of proportion. And I honestly believe it's just saying, can we just get into a room and talk to each other? How are you feeling about this? Why are you feeling that way? That's not my intention. I just, feel <laughs> we need to speak to each other. The email, the email and the, the social media is a difficult thing to have. a oh, it's difficult,
0: uh, difficult. And I think, isn't it funny, like as much as technology can really help us achieve so much more nowadays, it can accelerate the impact we can make. There's some ways where it definitely doesn't help. And, and sending that email at that time might make you feel very good in the moment. And say, ah, that shows so-and-so. But it's, seriously, it's not the right thing to do. I've been there. It's not. Uh, and the way you describe it, Talita, that is exactly the textbook way of handling it. Uh, it's just bringing the human side back to it. Have a conversation. Let's stretch out. It's more likely a misunderstanding. Yeah. And, and that's what leaders do.
1: And there's another thing in there for me. I, once in a meeting, I, I had one of my HR professionals and I said something that triggered her. And she really reacted in the moment. And of course, I noticed that and my self-awareness at that sti- st- stage and my social awareness was higher. And I just tried to diffuse the situation. But afterwards, she came to tell me that I'd really hurt her and the normal me would just go off almost like it was the right thing to do from my side. I I don't really understand where the issue is. But that's also the wrong way because people react in a certain way because something's happened and they have a different view of what you've said or how they've taken it. And it's actually, if you're the good leader, you're the one who's trying to understand why did that happen? Why did the person react that way? What was it that you said that made them react that way? And then trying to get to a place where, you know, that's not my intention. And I think that's uh, very often we hear people say you need to walk a moment in another's shoes. And I think, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I think that's um, also part of my, the words of wisdom that I would give that came from a very wise other leader to me. Put yourself in their shoes before you decide. And uh, that was very sage advice from him. (laughs) Before I do that, before I really react, why don't I just think a moment about why they've reacted that way and and what's going on for them? I definitely
0: agree, Talisa. It's funny, actually. I remember, it must have been about five years previous, I'd actually read a book where it said that. And it's amazing how when your integrity or your core values are attacked, how that can get the emotion. And it, it, I think leaders, the great leaders do this best. They, they can rise above that. And I just definitely wasn't at that level, at that stage, even though I knew what I should have done. And that's probably why it hurt so much on reflection is that I knew the right things to do and I still didn't do it. I let emotion come in. And and again, all I want to encourage people watching this or listening in, it's sometimes we'll make mistakes. We won't get it perfect all the time. The main thing is we reflect on it and and move forward. And again, I think that's a good leadership skill to mention is that how you use that in the future. It could be a really good lesson. I just hopefully not too many people get hurt over it. That's
1: all. Mm -hmm. And I think learning from the failure is the key thing. Learning from what you believe was the failure, because other people would look at it and think there, there wasn't a failure in the end. But it's, it's how you view it and how yep. you feel I want to grow from it. That's the important thing. I mentor another CFO and he used to get very unhappy when he used to take his financial numbers to the board and they right. would react to the numbers, not to him, but to the numbers. And he would, of course, take it personally because he's been open. He's been honest. Those are his values. He's presented the number with inte- the numbers with integrity and they are just reacting badly to the numbers. Let's not talk about the culture of that organization, because I think the cultural issue is the systemic thing there. But to bring it back to him, it was his value base. And and, and until he understood that your values are openness and transparency, and that's why you're getting so emotionally involved every single time you go to the board, Mm. only then could he step back a little bit. The values that you talk about in the beginning, it's it's a very, it's like a double-edged sword. It's very important that you do your values, you play to your values, you create the values environment. But the other side of the sword is it's very important to understand when people cross those values because that's what makes you react emotionally. And I think integrity is one of your high values, Andrew, because of that story that you told.
0: But I appreciate you saying that, but I think what you're just making me smile is I can see this in a lot of. Um, I think it goes to a lot of accountants and finance professionals out there, Talita. I think the challenge is that sometimes we get our roles and our values combined a mixed bread of the So just like the example you mentioned, I can completely relate to that. Earlier in my career, you know, being in board meetings, and like I was taking it personally when pushback was coming, and if it wasn't, they weren't pushback. There was a the numbers that was associated with my role. And I ask people a question an awful lot, which is, if you were to strip away all the roles you have in life as a husband, a wife, partner, brother, sister, accountant, you know, CFO, whatever, strip those away, how would you rate yourself on what's left? And and most people, funny enough, would actually, or sadly enough, give give themselves a six or a seven. I've done this many times in in seminars or presentations when there's only one correct answer, and it's a 10. Whatever gets left behind is a 10. Your values are your values. You are the only person who can do you, right? So, um, but the problem is you go to a barbecue or dinner meeting, and you ask someone, okay, what do you do for a living? And if they're an accountant, they say, I'm an accountant. And then all of them, so they identify themselves as accountants. They identify who they are as their role. Very hard to separate. But when you separate it, it's so much easier to deal with these things. When you know when people do push back, they're not pushing back on you personally. It's the rule.
1: That's a real nugget, separating your role from who you are. I think that's an amazing piece of advice. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew, what would you say is a common misconception that people have about you?
0: It actually comes back, actually, I think, to the point you made about walking in other people's shoes. People just assume that I'm I'm naturally empathetic because I interview and I'm a bit more extroverted because I have a global show that's very well known in finance. And, and actually, it couldn't be further from the truth, I actually really struggle with putting myself on people's shoes as much as I try. I, it's just not, not natural to me. It's not a strength that I have. I value it, of course, but I don't have that strength. Um, so I surround myself with people who are very good at that. Um, like my better half, Katie, she would actually um, be on the other end of the charts when it comes to empathy. Uh, she probably feels things too much before they happen, but I think that's why we make a great team. Um, and then I suppose also that... You know, I feel that you have to push yourself outside your comfort zone. So as much as I find being in the public eye sometimes uncomfortable, I, I wouldn't be able to deliver the impact that I feel I can deliver without doing it. So sometimes you just have to keep push, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone as well. But I'm not naturally... I'm not naturally someone who seeks uh, publicity. I'm quite a private person. I, even the house we bought <laughs> about a year and a half ago, we had to buy land around it just so that we could keep our privacy as well. So that's something that's quite key to me. So I, I do what I have to do in the public because I feel that's the best way I can contribute to the community. But behind that, I'm a very private person. And empathy is something that I'm often assumed that I have, but I, I really need help with it. And that's why I surround myself with great people who can help me.
1: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I think surrounding yourself with great people is another top tip where we are very similar. I would always hire the best people that I could because they can only help you to achieve what it is you want to achieve. You know, Some people are afraid to hire people who might have better skills than them or might be performing better because they feel threatened. I, I think that is the way to achieve more, to do more, to be able to um, add more value, have bigger impact.
0: Yeah, completely. I think it's the ultimate way of pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. And again, I think this is where it's very important to disconnect your values from your role. Because again, a lot of us define ourselves by our roles and organizations. So when we bring in team members, I'm very aware of some leaders who are frightened about those team leaders, sorry, those team members being, displacing them, taking their job. And when actually that should be the natural progression of things, because you wouldn't want to think that uh, the whole point of organizations is sustained profitable growth, making a, a valued contribution to society. So, in course, in theory, it's got to grow. So where are people in your, your team going to grow? If you're still going to be there, if you're not growing, if you're not developing. But the, remember, people in those teams, yes, they're playing various roles, but they have values and strengths to offer. And if they're growing and improving and they're being brought forward, then they're going to need to grow somewhere into. So why not, why not make use of the inevitable and create a vacuum for them? To grow into. And that only happens if you accept yourself that you are going to have to grow up or out or, or redefine yourself in some sort of way that makes room for them so that you can move on to another level that's going to make the best use of your strengths and values. And um, that's something that I instill in my team. And I think I'm in the current position that I am now is I expect my team members to, to force me out and, and encourage me to look into other opportunities where I can continue to add value. Um, but it also gives me a great sense of satisfaction, seeing them that, that they're growing. Within six months' time, I fully expect them to, to either be in, doing my role or, or, elements, or more elements of my role, and that allows me, gives me the space to go and grow as a leader myself.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Having people grow you out of your job. I think that's an, know, amazing, yes. that's <laughs> an amazing way to look at it.
0: Enjoying the time we spent together, Talita. But, uh, but what, interesting enough, there was a question that I found it quite difficult to answer, that, that you were maybe thinking of asking and, and, and I found it and I found that maybe I asked you that question actually <laughs> is what question would you um you know like people to ask you more but never do?
1: I suppose the question that I would have in my mind most at the moment that no one really asks me is how challenging probably on a scale from one to ten was living corporate life and Ooh. I would say 12. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that, would, that would be, no one ever asks you that. Everyone just assumes when they look at your LinkedIn profile or, or what you've been doing that you're absolutely fine. And I am absolutely fine. But I would say it's one of the toughest journeys that I've ever had and the biggest growth opportunity for me personally. I would never change it. So I would choose the hardness again. But it's been it's such an amazing journey and having your own business and then having COVID and all your face-to-face training gets cancelled. That's challenges that you just don't foresee. And of course, we don't all have a plan C. I, I now wouldn't just advocate to have a plan B. I would advocate to have a plan C. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I listened to a talk uh, with a lady, Sonia P- Piante, who just created Ultra Creativity. She launched an ebook and created it, wrote it, launched it, and had a bestseller on Amazon within one week. So she absolutely defied logic and she shared her journey. I was on a call yesterday where she shared her journey and she also says I had a plan A and a plan B. Everyone always says plan A, plan B. She had plan A and plan B. And of course, same thing for her plan A and plan B in her business went pear-shaped. So I would now say you need a plan C.
0: (laughs) (laughs) great answer thanks alicia i i I found i I was thinking like that's a really difficult question to answer and for me it was more around i was hoping that people would just tell me what it is that they wanted (laughs) you know be a bit clear about knowing what they wanted
1: i'll also share a little bit with you the answers that i'm getting when i ask the question they're either just off-the-cuff funny answers like a glass of wine or chris argent i'd like tickets to the rugby And then there are people who are saying, I wish, I wish I trusted my journey more. I wish people would ask me about my career. And her answer was, no, no, sorry. I wish people would ask me how I am. Sorry. That's one that I get quite often as well. Mm. How are you really? And not the just, how are you that we normally, but how are you really? What's going on for you? What is happening at a deeper level? or or something that'll help the real you to come to the forefront. That's quite, and then Andy Burrows, he's had his challenges with cancer many times. He says, no one ever asks him, how do you stay so positive? Yeah, so a, a multitude of different answers for that. And you caught me on the spot with asking me about... I that. did,
0: I know, I saw that. I saw you actually, I did, I think, but, it was, you think uh, but I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. It was an awesome answer. It really was like, and I just think very courageous in 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 terms of what you've done and you're doing. I think there was people watching and listening were great, gain great encouragement from that.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for your time and for agreeing to come on the hypothesis and thank you for the valuable contribution.
0: You're welcome, my pleasure. Anytime, you.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, You can email me, I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. And when all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week, take care, and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.